GalaxyCon Live is the place for you to hear about fandom from the celebrities who bring geek culture to life. Welcome, friends and fans, to another edition of GalaxyCon Live, where we are bringing in the convention experience directly to you. And today, we are going back to Metropolis, Gotham City, Smallville, the Phantom Zone, Arkham Asylum, the Batcave, and the Fortress of Solitude, and more, with our two incredibly talented guests from the Batman and Superman animated series, animated films such as The World's Finest, Public Enemies, and more. So without further ado, let's dash to the roof, turn on our single watch, flash the bat signal, and bring them out. Our first guest is an actor whose incredible body of work includes Diner, Madam Secretary, uh, The Fugitive, and of course, Wings. Today he joins us to discuss the voice of Daily Planet reporter Clark Kent, a.k.a. the Man of Steel himself, Superman. Please welcome Mr. Tim Daly. Hey, thank you. Hey. Ah, oh, so glad to have you here. How are you doing, boss? I'm doing great. I mean, I'm doing COVID great, which is not quite the same as great, but I'll take it. Uh, in the COVID world, I always said, last year I said, uh, okay is the new awesome. Anybody who's doing okay by 2020 standards, new awesome, and... 2021, I think we see the light at the end of the tunnel. We're not yeah. there yet, but we're getting there. Oh, COVID K. That's how I am. Uh, I love that. I like that very much, sir. And uh, just real quick, I just want to say I've been a great admirer of your body of work. And I especially owe you a debt for Diner because that was one of the few movies that my dad and I bonded over. <laughs> so th thank you so much for that. And what an incredibly enjoyable film. Oh, you're so welcome. Wow, that was you're dating me. That was a long time ago. Uh, that was you and a bunch of other young actors that went on to have really good careers as well, as well as, of course, Levinson. And it was just, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a fun graduating class movie, I call it. Thank you. Yes, I appreciate that. Absolutely. Well, thank you again for joining us here. It's so glad to have you. Great to be here. Indeed. And who else is here, of course? He's a returning guest. He's one of our favorite guests. He's an actor whose body of work includes Kennedy, Tour of Duty, and Dynasty. Today, he joins us as the voice of billionaire socialite Bruce Wayne, a.k.a. Batman. Please welcome back one of GalaxyCon's favorite guests, Kevin Conroy. Hey, good to see you. Good to see you. Hey. Uh, Kevin, how are you doing there in Stately Wayne Manor? I'm doing fine. Wasn't Diner an amazing movie? It was yes. the start of so many careers. Yes. It was such a great movie. It was really like a landmark movie. Oh, you're so right. Thank you. No, was, you must be so proud to have been a part of it. Well, yeah, it was sort of the the first movie where the comedy was about nothing. I mean, I don't think yeah. there, I don't think there would be Seinfeld without Diner. Exactly. It was just the interaction with right. characters, about regular stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just yeah. The the guys hanging out, talking about yeah, nothing. <laughs> Absolutely, it just does so well. So, Kevin, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I survived uh, lockdown for a year. I stayed in L.A. So like, you know, go for walks, gardening, that kind of stuff. Just very quiet. Lots of reading, lots of reading. Quiet time. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. So, well, gentlemen, as always, thank you so much for joining us here today. Uh, we here at GalaxyCon are looking forward to the day when the world gets a little bit back to normal. We can yes. once again host you on our stages and get yes. you back in front of your fans. In the meantime, we have the GalaxyCon virtual stage. We are so glad to have you both here. There's Let's one thing I wanted to say to Tim. One thing I wanted to say. Please, please. I want you to remember Clark. In all the years to come, in all your private moments, I want you to remember my hand at your throat. I want you to remember the one man who beat you. <laughs> wow. Remember that? I did. I, like, I had no memory of it. It's like kind of drifting in. <laughs> wow, fantastic. From oh, the classic liar originally written by Frank Miller in The Dark Knight Returns and then uh, used in various other primitive. Yeah, absolutely. I have to delete everything that I memorized to make space for the next thing. So I don't know. I know the feeling. <laughs> I know the feeling. 
Oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know what it is? First of all, I thank you both. And I've thanked Kevin to this before, but Tim, now I'll say this too. Thank you for giving the voice and the spirit to these characters because Batman and Superman in DC for years called them the world's finest when they published the team book together. And that's very indicative without Batman and Superman comics would not have gotten out of that nascent stage in the forties. It wouldn't have come what it is. Our business comic cons and everything else just wouldn't have existed without Batman and Superman. And the two of you, your contributions to the characters are absolutely seminal and just thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you so much. So much Wouldn't be anything without the audience. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's brought up, but you brought know, a fun, thing, a fun thing about this business is that um, actors' paths cross periodically. And especially on a show like uh, Batman or Superman, um, with Andrea Romano casting it, um, she always brought in such interesting actors. And they would have been people you would have worked with years before. Like Tim and I have known each other for a long time. And I did, a, I did an off, one of the first off-Broadway shows I did um, back in the 80s was with uh, Stephen Weber. We did uh, Come Back Little Sheba together uh, with oh Philip Bosco and Maya Dillon and Shirley Knight. It was a wonderful cast. And we did it at the Roundabout Theater. But that's how I know Stephen, I mean, from like 35 years ago. So doing these voiceover um, little plays, they sort of are, when we do yeah. them like, they're like uh, radio plays. Um, you would interact with actors like I did. A, M Melissa Gilbert did Barbara Gordon. We had done a movie together years ago with Woody Harrelson. So your your paths just it's so wonderful to reunite with people. And it was so great to work with Tim again uh, after so many years. So that's one yeah. aspect of the business. I'm not sure the audience is aware of is yeah. how free how frequently our paths cross. You're absolutely right. And the, and the funny thing about it is that because our currency is our experiences and our emotions, when you meet someone, you talk about all this stuff, this deep stuff very quickly. Yeah. And you spend this intense amount of time together and then you go away and then you see somebody 10, 12, 15 years later. And it's like, it's the next day. It is. <laughs> it's like it is. the next day. Yeah, yeah. And, um, so you get close very fast and then you go away and you're, you know, launched all over the planet and then you come back and there you are. And it's like no time passed at all. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. What, what I would love to hear is, is I've asked Kevin this before, but uh, I'll ask both of you in case someone doesn't know it. How did these characters begin for each of you? Uh, chronologically, Kevin, you came on board first with Batman, the animated series as the first and last person in the audition, but tell your version to the audience. Well, I, I, I Tim may have had a similar experience because mm -hmm. I, I don't think he had a, an animation background either, but I had no animation background at all. Um, I had been in the theater in New York. I happened to be in LA doing a pilot for a series. And uh, my voiceover agent said, oh, they're doing a new show over at Warner Brothers. Um, go over and give it a shot. You've never done animation, but who knows? Uh, it's Batman. And I was so naive to it all. I didn't even know Batman had never been an animated show. I thought Batman had been around forever. It must have been an animated show. So I went in and I met Bruce Tim, Eric Rogomsky, Andrea Romano, um, Paul Dini, all these you know, people who became legends in the business, but we were all so young then. I didn't know who any of these people were. I didn't know who I was auditioning for. And when you are that naive, you don't build up a lot of apprehension. You don't have the time to get nervous. <laughs> so I felt so free in that booth to just improvise because I had nothing to lose. I'd never done yeah. animation. Um, I had nothing invested in it. And I just played with the character. And I imagined, 
you know, what his life would be like after watching his parents murdered in front of him. And my voice just went to this very dark place. And the character was kind of created in that moment. So I went in a complete novice and happened to get the brass ring. I mean, it was just such a lucky moment. And, and as any actor can tell, tell you, they go through a hundred auditions um, where they get rejected before they get the one where they get it. And that just happened to be my lucky day. So it was a great day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hit the ground running this, the, the original series, of course, and then the continuation series, the further adventures. And during that time, the same creative team were kind of told by Warner Brothers, we want to do more character. Like, how about Superman? And, and they, at first they were like, I don't know. And then I remember hearing the stories from Tim and Dini say, well, yeah, but we could do Superman. We could do this. We could do this. And so Tim, you come into the picture. Uh, how, how did, how did this evolve for you? So I was in LA. I was doing a little show called Wings. It was a comedy. Was <laughs> yeah, I, I think I remember that. Yeah. And yeah. one of our uh, writers, who's now like maybe the, one of the most successful executive producers on the planet, Christopher Lloyd, who created Modern Family, you know, worked on Frasier, things like that. Um, he said, "Hey, my wife wants to talk to you." And I said, "About what?" And she said, "Well, she's got a friend who was doing this little animation thing." So his wife, Arlene Sorkin, said, "Would you?" I said, "I hate to ask you this, but would you mind going down to Warner Brothers and and reading for Superman? Are you interested?" And I was like, "Superman, Sh sure, you know, sure." And I was a little irked because I had to drive. I was in traffic. I had to drive to all the way deep into the San Fernando Valley, which. For those of you that don't live in LA, just know that if you're coming from the West Side, going there is kind of like a journey through the various stages of hell. Anyway, I made it. I sat down. I met all the same people that Kevin just uh, mentioned. I had no idea who they were. They were really nice. And I sort of started in, and they said, no, no, wait, wait, no, stop, stop, stop. And I said, what? And they said, don't do anything. Sort of the opposite of you. They said, don't just be you know, sort of just do Clark Kent, just like you. And so I did that. And they said, okay, now do Superman. And the difference between the two was very slight. And that seemed to be what they wanted. I, I mean, I was, as Kevin said, I was a complete novice. And um, I left the room with the job. And frankly, I, I one of the things that is uh, that I'm very shameful about or ashamed of is that I loved Superman, the, the, the series, the George Reeves series, which I saw yeah. in reruns when I was a little kid, but I wasn't a big comic book guy. And I thought that this was going to be a nice little thing for some kids on Saturday morning to watch cartoons. Uh, I had no idea. And no one, no one really explained to me about the world and the importance of superheroes, not Andrea, not Bruce, not Kevin, nobody. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't quite realize, you know, the the uh, the level of responsibility I had for playing this iconic American superhero. Um, and I wish I had, but I I still wanted to, you know, do that character justice because he's, you know, they're amazing characters. And it's interesting because Superman is sort of old-fashioned because he's so good and true and such an honest Boy Scout. And Batman is a more modern hero, right? He's got. I mean, they both have childhood trauma, but Batman's is dark. Darker, dark and, and edgy, uh, and angry, and it, it, it represents in a different way, and that's more like the modern, you know, uh, the modern heroes, more the, the sort of hero anti-hero. I, 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 but I think I, it was a moment when, when we were both like when I went in and when I went into audition and when Tim went in, 
you, you're saying you weren't aware of how iconic the role was you were about to play. I don't think that, I think we were there at the beginning of that. That wow. t TV animation was just about to take off mm -hmm. for the superheroes. Before that, it had been, you know, um, the Flintstones and uh, the Jetsons. And uh, it was it was very Saturday morning. And it was very it was, Saturday morning. And it was stuck in those old rules where Batman couldn't punch anybody right. and there couldn't be right. violent. There couldn't there couldn't have been there couldn't have been the death of Dan Turpin. Right. But suddenly the rules were changing because it was being targeted more toward an adult audience and a, and a much more sophisticated audience of children as well. So it was it was a, it was a it was a really golden moment that we both, I think, stumbled into these these roles. I agree. Absolutely. Absolutely. And of course, the minute the uh, Superman animated series took off immediately, the every fan, including myself, was like, that's awesome. When are they going to cross over with Batman? <laughs> <laughs> and I think they, they kind of held off a little bit uh, on that. Uh, but when the first Carvacar happened, the three-parter edited into World's Finest, what was your reactions, uh, both of you, when you got, oh, by the way, we're going to do the crossover and you guys are going to be, I assume you guys were able to record together. Uh, sometimes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Not always, because Tim is a very busy actor. And so getting him is very hard. Well, this was one of the things that was such a bummer for me was that, I, you know, was doing this this series in Seattle, a remake of The Fugitive, and I just couldn't. Oh, I, that's right, that's right. Yeah. And, and I just finally had to say, I, I can't. You know, I think that Andrea and Bruce were very frustrated with me. I, I can't apologize to them enough for kind of uh, bowing out, but I didn't want to. I just didn't have any strength left. I, I'm not Superman, so I don't have enough. You know, I can't go on two hours of sleep. Right. Uh, that's obviously fine. Well, again, uh, that story of the world's finest, I think you both knocked it out. It was great because you also had, uh, you know, we also had Clancy Brown's Lex Luthor and yeah. we got to see him bounce off of Mark Hamill's Joker. It was just, it was what every fan had been wanting to see. And uh, again, it, it, it holds up to the test of time. It holds up tremendously. And it was just yeah. great to see the two of you just able to bounce off each other. It's always Warner Brothers preference to get all of us in the booth together because you just get a much different performance when you're working off of each other. But with actors, the kind of actors that Andrea likes to cast are ones that are pretty much in demand and are busy. I was in New York for a lot of um, my recordings, so I would be alone. Tim has been working a lot. And so like he was talking about doing The Fugitive, uh, Mark Hamill, when, when we did The Killing Joke, he was doing Star Wars in London. So we were never in the room together, which freaks yeah. people out when they realize that because it, it doesn't sound that way, you know? But they always try to get us together because you do get a, a more, I think, dynamic read when you get the actors together. But Indeed. The kind of actors they like to hire, they're just they just tend to be busy. So it's hard to, to coordinate schedules. Very much so. Very much so. Uh, before you guys were reunited on uh, Public Enemies, uh, you locked horns in a short clip that uh, I think we're, we've been asked to play. Are you gentlemen ready for this? I want you to remember Tim Daly in all your years to come, in all your private moments, my hand at your throat. I want you to remember the one man who beat you. Enough! What are you doing? You're the hero that Gotham deserves but you're not the one it needs right now. 
What does that even mean? It means we'll hunt you. Because you can take it. Because you're not our hero. You're a silent guardian. A watchful protector. A dark light. Night? It's dark night. Whatever. And you. <laughs> you can give the people an ideal to strive towards. They will race behind you. They will stumble. They will fall. But they can be a great people, Dad. They wish to be. They only lack the light to show the way. Why should we listen to you? You're just a child. But what if a child dreamed of being something other than what society had intended? What if a child aspired to something greater? What if a child was a little less douche? What the f <laughs> Oh, I've forgotten that. Uh, <laughs> that, of course, oh, is yeah. my actual son, Sam Daly. Uh, that's that that's 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 a one, wonderful uh, paraphrasing of just some very classic seminal lines of, of Superman and Batman history. And that's a it was a great piece. The dark light. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> it's night. It's night. The dark night. <laughs> So, besides filming that, what's 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 been the best part of uh, for you guys for being a part of all this? What's been the best part of of having Superman and Batman in your lives? Go, Kevin. This is going to sound um, ingratiating, but quite honestly, the best part of it has been the interaction with the fans and the audience. Um, it's an aspect of it I never anticipated because it's a voice. In a room, it's a, you send your performance out into the ether and you don't ever expect anyone to even know you did it. But then the internet was created and people could Google who was who. And I live most of the year in New York. I'm a native New Yorker. And last year, a cop a car pulled me over as I was walking across Broadway. And I thought, damn, I'm getting a jaywalking ticket in New York. This is unbelievable. And I hear over the loudspeaker, pull over, Batman. And they were cops who said, we want a picture with Batman. Well, that doesn't happen to voice actors. You know, that's just extraordinary. And then the, the, the interaction I'd have at Comic-Cons with audience members who'd, who'd say that they had difficult childhoods, difficult home lives, but Batman had been a safe space for them. Uh, Batman had been a, a harbor uh, in difficult households. For an actor to hear that your work has that kind of an impact on people is just it's just a blessing. It's, it's extraordinary. And it's, you don't anticipate, especially from a voice performance, uh, but which used to be yeah. so anonymous, you know? So that aspect of it was something I never anticipated. And it's just been so much fun, especially on the subway. When I get recognized on the subway in New York, cause you're in that contained too, you know? And someone will say, do the voice, do the voice. And you're saying, I am vengeance. I am the night. And everyone in the subway is like freaking out. What's going on? <laughs> Because <laughs> it, it, it reverberates in there, you know. Yeah, and they, uh, they all applaud. They go, "Hey, that, that. and they do, Kevin." And, and Kevin, I, I've seen, I've hosted you on stage, and I've seen you at your tables, and you really do give each and every one of your fans absolute attention, absolute concern, and it's it's a it's a pleasure to see well, you. I think it's part of the reason people go into acting is because of that juice you get from the audience. That's yeah. you know that's why you love to be on stage so much because 
you know, the, the audience is like a living organism. You feel them. You sense when they're with you and you sense when you've lost them. You can hear everything out there. And there's this wonderful communication that goes on between the actors and the audience, even though you've got that fourth wall, that, yeah. you know, your, that imaginary wall. On voice work, that never existed. The, the, I was missing that. So when that started happening for me because of this role, I was just like, you know, a kid in a candy store. It was so much fun. I love it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Tim, what's the best part of Superman? <laughs> well, I, I think I completely agree with Kevin. I think there's two things for me. One is just being able to say, even though it's not live action, but being able to say that you played Superman. <laughs> you know, I was yeah. Superman. That's just sort of a, a wild thing to say. And the other thing is, I, I think that I didn't realize, as I said before, how important this character and my work as this character were important to the audience. And for Superman's 75th anniversary, I finally went to Comic-Con, right? I've been invited a few times, but I was busy and kids, blah, blah, blah. So I finally go, and, and there was this room with probably 4,000 people in it. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, Henry uh, Cavill and, and my son, Sam, who actually did a, a very tiny little Superman voice for some, some movie, I can't remember, and a bunch of people who had played Superman. And they introduced me. I was in the audience listening to this panel. And f these 4,000 people rose to their feet and gave me this incredible ovation. And I was, oh. I was so moved by it. I could not, for the life of me, believe that I had had such a, a, a profound effect on these people. And, and it was, you know, I was so grateful to them. You know, I, I feel like I, I would love to do more to give back to the audience because, my gosh, without them, you know, we don't exist. There's, there's, no, I'd say there's one great advantage that, that, that both of you had that was such a delight is that being ongoing series, we got to see your versions of the character go through the whole mythologies of the characters. Like I said, we saw... We got to see Smallville years. We got to see the early years. We saw Arkham Asylum. We saw the Phantom Zone. We saw all the mythology of both of the characters explored and given time to nestle. And the movie versions, the TV versions, you don't have that advantage. You got to tell the whole story in this one big pop and everything at once. So it was a delight to see you guys because you were able to let the characters breathe in their environments. Well, I, I you know, have to say that you know Bruce and the other writers get a lot of mostly credit for that because they're the ones that you know create the arc of the characters and, yes. and you know plot out that that long road absolutely absolutely uh, bruce and tim and the whole team they're, they're fantastic and and again uh all praise to saint andre romano for selecting yeah. you gentlemen <laughs> our, yeah. our our hero in the team. bruce was so bruce was so he's 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 kind of a genius bruce tim yeah and he can be very exacting, as, as most geniuses can be. Um, but he's also incredibly uh, generous and patient because I was a complete idiot when I started the role. I knew nothing. Well, the only aspect of Batman I knew was the Adam West show. And when I told him that at the audition, he said, no, no, no. He said, we love Adam. We love what he did, but that's not what we're doing. Erase, erase that. He said, don't you know the Dark Knight series? Didn't you read Batman comics when you were little? I said, no, I, I didn't, I didn't. He said, what kind of childhood did you have? And uh, <laughs> I said, well, I just didn't read comic books. But um, so he had to really bring me up to speed. They had to kind of educate me and they were very patient about it, which was great. It's absolutely wonderful. I had the exact same experience. 
<laughs> yeah, like just yeah, Sounds just like get shotgunned into this. Yeah, not this a comic movie. books kid, and I had to be educated. Yeah, and that's fine because again, as as actors, it's how you deliver it. And again, I give praise to you guys. You absolutely you you put these characters above and beyond the finish line. So, and nice. we are good to go to audience questions. So let's go ahead and roll our first one. And this is gonna come from. Kevin, and Kevin wants to know, if you had the opportunity to voice any other animated character, who would it be? Oh, <sighs> Batty. It would be so much fun to do with the Joker, wouldn't it? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> or Wolverine. I think I'd be a good Wolverine. Yes, you would. Um, I don't know enough about the other, other characters. But the funny thing about my initial audition when I was in there, meeting everybody, um, I was trying to sell myself for Bullock or um, Commissioner Gordon. I was like, yeah, I could do a really good, you know, Bullock or Commissioner Gordon. And Andrea said, why are you pushing yourself for the supporting roles? They want you for the lead. I said, well, those are much more interesting characters. Those are more interesting voices. <laughs> she said, it's the lead. Are you crazy? There you go. There you go. Tim, any thoughts? Uh, no, just that, that um, I understand that that impulse because you know as i said superman you know he is he is so straight and narrow that that like i would get really happy when i got to do bizarro because bizarro is a weird <laughs> yeah and you know it just like took me off the beaten path but but listen any actor will tell you it's not just in voice acting but in anything the bad guys are really fun to play yeah they're the fun roles there's so much they're so fun because you get to, you know, go to that dark place that you don't really want to have in your real life. You'd like to be lighter and sort of stay within the boundaries of the law so you don't wind up in prison because maybe no one will visit you. So, uh, yeah, I, I always I always would have a little bit of envy for the people that got to be the bad guys. Yeah, yeah. I do that way too, don't you? Well, if Kevin was going to do Wolverine, then, Tim, I'd ask you to be the part of Scott Summers' Cyclops, another member of the X-Men and the same dichotomy so. okay that's fine i'll do that yeah take take trust me take <laughs> and kevin thank you that was a great question to start us off with what do we have next and this comes from christy what has been your favorite batman superman interaction hmm. maybe the short, the short the short film we saw earlier i don't i don't remember <laughs> the specific episode or whatever it was but there was one thing that we did kevin where we actually had sort of kind of a comedic moment where we were being kind of friendly and Superman, kind of curse, Superman was giving Batman a little shit about something. And it was kind of fun. He was he was being amused by Batman. Yeah, I uh, think that was in the Justice League, wasn't it? It must have been Justice League. Yeah. I think that was in Justice League. Could I, it, I like those moments. Could it have been when uh, uh, in Public Enemies, when Superman had been shot by the kryptonite bullet and lose the sense of humor? Do me a favor and buy one. I think Public Enemies would probably be my favorite interaction. It was just such interesting. It was such an interesting script. Very yeah. much so. Yeah, I'll take it. Christy, thank you. Great one. What do we have next? Hey, here's one from Alex. What was your first acting job, and what do you remember about it? Wow. My first acting job was when I was 19. I was, just, I was in Juilliard, and I did a summer at the Woodstock Playhouse in upstate New York. It was my first professional acting job. Um, because I got my equity card doing this and I was playing, you can't take it with you. It was something else that summer. I had to play the xylophone and you can't take it with you because I was playing Ed. Mm. And guess who taught me to play the xylophone? Who? Alan Arkin. 
because wow. his, his wife, Dana, Barbara Dana, was in the cast with me. But it was a weird summer stock. You know, it was a, it was a legendary summer stock house, the Woodstock Playhouse. Oh, I also did the mousetrap there. I was Christopher Wren. When you're doing stock, especially in the, this would have been the 70s, you live in rooming houses and they're paying you practically nothing. So I was living in this really ratty rooming house, sharing a room with another actor from Brooklyn. And it was a very unpleasant summer. <laughs> it was, it was, it was learning how nasty the business can be, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. But I got my equity card. So I got my equity card in a George Bernard Shaw play called uh, Arms and the Man. And oh, it was yeah. it was at the point, and I played the Russian soldier, right? I had this, this ridiculous accent that I talked like this. Anyway, um, and uh, it was at the point, Royal Point Siena Playhouse in Palm Beach, Florida. Sure, I remember that. We, we used to say the average age of the audience was deceased. Rolls-Royce, Rolls-Royce, intensive care unit, intensive care unit. I mean, people were dropping like flies. Anyway, so my sister Tyne was doing a play at the Burt Reynolds Dinner Theater with Sally oh, Field yeah. and Bill Strickland, yeah. which was most in Florida. This yep. is before Tyne became a well-known actor. Anyway, I came to see her show. She came to see the closing night of Arms and the Man, and she said all the wonderful things, and she said, listen, I had that one of those wool hats, you know, that tightly knit wool thing. And she said, listen, you got to steal that hat. <laughs> I said, fine. This is my first job. I'm getting my equity. I'm not stealing the hat. She said, you got to steal the hat. I said, no, I'm not going to get in trouble. I'm not doing it. She said, you have to understand something. It is an actor's obligation to steal things that they that they like from plays. I said, I'm not doing it. So cut to about six or seven years later. It's my Broadway debut in a play called Coastal Disturbances I did with Annette Benning. And uh, we go to the party at Sardi's, which is a very traditional place to go. And there's my sister with a box. I open the box. What's in it? It's the hat. No. My sister Tyne, that's what a good sister she is. She stole the hat and she saved it for years until the appropriate moment. And then she bestowed it upon me for my Broadway debut. What an incredible wow. sister. What a good sister. What an incredible sister. <laughs> Yeah, nice. that, is, that is a tradition of stealing things from the shows that you're yeah. in. Always the wow. last, the last performance. I did, I did the the tour, the Broadway tour of Death Trap, and I was out with it for over a year. And the last night, after slogging all over America together with Brian Bedford, it was a wonderful cast. The stage manager comes out on stage at the very end of the last scene and was standing there like this, guarding everything. Oh, because they weren't even stealing anything. I said, come on, we've been out with you for over a year. You don't trust us? As I pocketed a yeah, candlestick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I still yeah, have yeah. that candlestick, by the way. <laughs> uh, I got my equity card because I was 35 and I could pass as a six-year-old. But that's the story for another tale. But Alex, well, that's thank a you. Talent. That's a <laughs> <talent>. <laughs> thank you. That was a great question. What do we have next? And from Josh, how would Superman and Batman spend their time in quarantine? Oh, God. How could they stand each other in quarantine? Oh, we're, we're assuming they're together? Actually, yeah, let's go Let's go that direction. That's a fun one. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. That wouldn't last. That wouldn't no, last. That would be a nightmare. That would be a nightmare. I was thinking that Batman would be fine because he's kind of a loner anyway. He's alone in the cave anyway. Yeah. And Superman can fly to, you know, wherever. Just yeah, but if they were stuck together, that would be oh. 
That'd on be an iPad or something. That'd be bad. Bad news. Yeah. See, see, theoretically, Superman shouldn't have to worry about uh, about that. But yeah, no. Uh, uh, no, it would be it's a postulation. So, but Josh, thank you. That was a fun one. What's next? And here's one from Chris. What's your most memorable interaction you've had with a fan? Hmm. Actually, I've never thought about that. Well, I'll go. I'll go first. And this is a weird thing. And th this goes back to what Kevin was saying about getting recognized by the, the police in New York. I have my superpower is a cloak of invisibility. And I have this experience, not so much during COVID, but beforehand. You know, I've been on series television for a long time. And about three times a year when I was traveling back and forth between New York and L.A., I'd be sitting on a plane, you know, and I get in a conversation with somebody and they eventually say, what do you do? And I say, I'm an actor. And they say, oh, what, do you, what, what have you been in? And I say, well, at the moment, I'm doing a TV show called Madam Secretary. And they go, Madam Secretary, I love that show. My wife and I <laughs> every week. Who do you play? I'm like, I, I played the guy that looks exactly like me. <laughs> and they're like, oh my god, oh my god. But I can tell people, you know, I can walk right up to people and they can start naming movies that they like that I'm in and they don't they don't know it's me. So my fan interaction is is that I somehow have the ability to disappear. <laughs> Go transparent. That's, that's, uh, <laughs> that's good. That's good. Kevin, how about you? I guess I guess the most memorable moment would be, and, and you you've heard this story. Oh um, yeah, but go ahead. <laughs> being being in New York, being a New Yorker uh, after 9-11, everybody was doing everything they could and I volunteered and I was the night shift cook at a restaurant in next to Ground Zero that serviced all the, the workers. And I did from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. And uh, because I had done restaurant work when I was a student, uh, so I'm, I'm good enough, industrial kitchen. Those were rough nights. It was right after the attack. Everyone was down and it was hot, steamy September, it was unusually hot. And the smell of, of the pile was pretty overwhelming. In the middle of one of these nights, I did it for a couple of weeks, one of the other um, uh, cooks said, so my day job is I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an architect. What's your day job? I said, well, I'm an actor. He said, but do you do some special kind of acting? I said, well, mostly now I do, I do voices. I'm an animation actor. He said, I knew it. You're the guy who does Batman. I said, that's so cool. It's amazing that you would. He said, I knew I knew your name. He said, can I tell the guys in the dining room that Batman's been cooking their dinners? I said, nobody's going to care. I mean, the world had come to an end, you know? Who's going to care that Batman's in the kitchen? I said, please don't do that. He said, no, no, let me do it. Let me do it. So he goes out in the dining room and he goes, guys, guys, you're not going to believe who's been cooking your dinners. It's Batman. And there's this long pause and you hear, bullshit. And then someone says, make him prove it. So back from the kitchen in the way back of this place, and I have a big theatrical voice. So I did, I am vengeance, I am the knight, I am Batman. And there's this long pause and you hear, holy fuck, that is Batman. <laughs> <laughs> and they all start running back into the kitchen and everyone started laughing. There was all this laughter going on. And remember the Harley Quinn when she was doing with the Joker and man, when you did with Two-Face and I watched that with my kids, and suddenly it was like the whole place had turned into 15 year olds. And the guy, the architect who had recognized me said, what does it feel like to be Santa Claus? I said, because that's just what happened here. Yeah. This place changed. Yeah. And I called Andrea Romano the next morning and I said, you are not gonna believe what happened last night. 
and I told her the story and she circulated it around Warner Brothers because I said, you know, we think that what we do is so silly and doesn't matter, especially at a moment like that, you know, a crisis like that. He said, but it was the one thing people needed at that moment. It was exactly what they needed, a release, an escape, you know. So that was that was a really amazing audience interaction for me. That's... I think your next job is going to be the voice of Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> might sound a little like Batman, but ho, ho, ho. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chris, that was a wonderful question. Thank you. And I think we got time for one more, maybe two. Let's see. Let's see what we get. This one's Debbie. What is your most memorable moment from the recording booth? You want, you, want me, you want me to go? I have a great one. Go. When we recorded, we recorded in 93 or 94 when the Rodney King riots were going on in LA. Oh, gosh. And the city was burning. And I called my agent and I said, they can't be booking. It's got to be canceled. You know, the city is on fire. He said, no, they're expecting you to go, go, go in. And it was at the studio. It was in a, an area of East Hollywood called Rowena. On a, it's called the Rowena Studio. It's on a street called Rowena. But I, I couldn't believe I was driving into the smoke and all the other traffic was coming the other way. I thought, why am I the only car driving east? What is the matter with me? But it was before cell phones, so I couldn't call into my agent or anything. So I went. Andrea was there. Bruce was there. People were sort of shaking. And I came in every time an actor would come in, smoke would waft into the studio because there was so much going on outside. And we were all in our microphones, you know, we're like, uh, I am Batman. Because we were <laughs> expecting at any moment for the fires to come. And Andrea finally said, forget it, we can't do this booking, we gotta get you out of here. But that day of being in the booth with a bunch of terrified actors as the city was burning around us, but we still went to our booking, you know, we still made the gig. Um, that was the most outrageous uh, <laughs> experience I've had. Uh, the show must go on. I'm not going to yeah. be able to remember as specifically as Kevin, but I remember having a laughing fit in the booth one time with oh, no. uh, Andrea because we were having a discussion about what the what the difference of the sound was between Superman being hit with a laser beam or electrocuted or... <laughs> <laughs> with a girl. I'm he's, he's always getting trashed with so many things. And the it's difference nuance. And I just can't make any sounds. And finally, it just seems so absurd. I'm just like making all these struggling sounds. And, I, and we just fell apart. <laughs> yeah, well, it's different with when he's electrocuted. It should be like that. Yeah. And and again, I can absolutely see that conversation happening and, and legitimately giving it thought. Uh, because that means, oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Actually, well, should I, should I tell the story about when I, when I got in a little trouble with the Warner Brothers? Oh, please do. So Al Roker came to interview me at the, at the recording studio. And he was there and a woman from Warner Brothers publicity was there. And he was asking me about, you know, doing Superman. And I said, you know, a lot of my work is doing you know, grunting, straining, groaning noises because Superman is always getting the hell kicked out of him. And I said, come to think of it, it's a little disconcerting to think that the children of America have a pretty good idea what I sound like in bed. And the, and the, and the woman from the foremost was like, ah, no, wait a minute, hang on, can we just go back? Al Roker fell off his chair laughing. But, um, but I actually... I actually think that I got a nice little letter from Warner Brothers saying- Did you really? 
So I'm like, in the future, please refrain from any sort of sexual innuendo content. I was like, I'm so sorry. It's just at the moment, it just came out. That's so funny. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh, oh fantastic debbie thank you that was a great one and GalaxyCon viewers this has been my time with the voices of batman and superman gentlemen it's been an absolute delight any final words for our audience before we go backstage just that it's all about you the audience it really is you're the ones who make it all worthwhile absolutely so we love you thank you so much for being there for us and giving us a chance to be there for you absolutely gentlemen it once again, I, I thank you for joining us here today. And again, thank you for these performances. I, I, I thank you for your talents. I thank you for your professionalism. And I thank you for the performances of Superman and Batman. They really meant a lot to me and so many of my peers. And again, so much to our audience. Thank you for joining us here. Thank you for joining us at GalaxyCon Virtual Stage. Okay. Thank you to our audience. And thank you for all your great questions. Hope to see you all again soon. Until then, bye-bye, everyone. Take care. And as always, please keep washing those hands. <laughs>